and welcome to Property Australia's favourite obsession. My name is Jeremy Cownan and today I'm talking with Cownan Flack Advisor Dane Pimble. Now just to make sure we make full disclosure here, Dane of course is an advisor in our advice firm Cownan Flack. But I thought it'd be really interesting to have a talk to him about how he uses property in an advice setting. See typically advisors either sit in the shares camp or the property camp. But at Cownan Flack we like to have a foot in both. We don't think shares is better than property or property better than shares. In fact, quite the opposite. I actually believe that as a property investor, if you can understand the share market, it'll make you a better investor and vice versa. If you've got a propensity to invest in shares, the more you can understand about the property market, then the better your investing will become. We cover quite a bit of turf in this discussion, but probably one of the important takeaways that I want you to have a think about is when Dane speaks about the importance of setting goals and having a plan and making sure that you give that plan time to work. It's really important. The people that I've seen who have made really big money in property are the ones that have held on for long, long periods of time. It hasn't just been a three or a five or a seven year investment or a time frame. It has been multi-decades and those people have built substantial real estate portfolios allowing time and leverage to do the hard work for them. So here to talk to me about the role of property in an advice setting is Counterflux Advisor, Dane Pimble. Welcome to Property, Australia's favorite obsession. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Now, Dane, you're an experienced advisor. You've um, been involved in the funds management business. Uh, You're an experienced investor. I wanted to ask you first off, what is it that you take away when you listen to the PAFO episodes? That's a a good question. I, I, I often, when I'm listening to it, I really enjoy the experiences that each individual has has had that is somewhat unique to them. And I don't necessarily go into listening to the podcast knowing what it is I'm going to learn from them. And I think just as a collective experience of of listening to, to a range of different episodes, different nuggets of gold are in, are in each in each different episode that that build into my improving my understanding of, of the drivers of, of, of the property cycle. And, and some of your presenters have talked about, you know, you know, Roman history from centuries ago, where it's clearly evident that the same drivers were, were in effect there that are, that are still here today. And, and that in itself is, is, is for me, a key, a key takeaway that gives, that gives me confidence as a, as a property investor, but also as an advisor on property strategies, that there is a, a, a repeatable cycle. There are drivers that, that don't change that, that lead to similar outcomes over time for, for property investors that stick to that strategy. I did really enjoy um, that episode with uh, Rhiannon Evans, uh, the Empress of Rhone, because I found that really very interesting as well. Um, the fact that, you know, we can go back, you know, in any time in history and we can see these drivers just continually manifesting and um, uh, affecting the economy and uh, property and investment markets as they were in the times. Yeah, and, and what really you know, I respected from Rhiannon's present, from, from Rhiannon's experience was that she was approaching that from the perspective of a historian rather than a financial markets um, professional. And and I think 
there's a key that there's a key thing in that that I think you can learn something from a wide range of different experiences and the more the more diverse those experiences are the more it adds to your body of knowledge and, and confidence in your own investing and I think maintaining that humility that you don't know everything is a very valuable attribute to have I think it's a really important um, point that you make there that you know, there are a lot of podcasts and a lot of books and, um, you know, a lot of YouTube tutorials, et cetera, that, that talk about property, um, you know, how to build a portfolio, et cetera. But I don't know of anyone else out there that's really teaching the why, you know, what is the drivers? And I guess that's really the point of PAFO to show that we have these five underlying drivers. Um, and the more that we can show these in different veins, um, you know, the better the story. And, um, you know, as an, as an experienced um, advisor and as I said, um, you know, market participant, it, um, you know, it really makes me proud to think that, you know, there are things that, that you can take out of the, uh, the, the series as they're presented. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm obvious, I feel I'm quite fortunate to be a part of, of Callum Flack as an advisor here as well with the, with the methodology that, that is taught. And for a lot of my career, and I've been doing this since about 2003, last cycle's mid-cycle slowdown. And for a lot of the early part of my career, it was very much focused around shares, um, fundamental analysis, you know, your Warren Buffett style in investing. And I never really understood property and, and what, what drove it, why property prices were rising faster than wages. And, and you know, as I came across you know, your work on the, the effortless advantage and, and the five drivers of the, of, of the land cycle, it's that's when it started to make sense to me about you know how land captures the gains and and makes best use of its locational advantage and effectively as a rule land prices must must rise faster than wages because for a long period of time there i couldn't understand how the average wage earner um you know with the wage growth that would occur but the property prices would rise faster than that it just never seemed sustainable to me certainly didn't seem mm valuable investment um, but what you see is that as land captures the gains and as rents rise faster than than the average wage it forces people you know, it, when we're talking about residential property it forces people to that don't own assets that are producing income income to supplement their wages it forces them out of the major population centers into into cheaper accommodation Exactly right. That whole idea of locational or natural locational advantage of one particular piece of land over another is absolutely crucial. Um, and that is, you know, one of the, the things that we're trying to really um, uh, show people um, with PAFO. Why is it then, Dane, do you think that it's so important to understand that concept and, and, and how, you know, how does that affect the way in which um, you know, you go about either advising people or, um, you know, making your own investment decisions. Yeah, well, I mean, I think even before that, and, and I think focusing on whether, you know, the right property investment or whether shares are better than property or property better than shares, certainly not a view that, that we hold, um, that it's the right structure dictates the right investment. But before all of that, before even understanding what drives the property cycle, 
is the very basic fundamentals in terms of how we, you know, how I approach advice. It's the getting, and, and I guess the best way to describe us is that sort of cliche term, goals-based advice is the best way to describe our approach. And it's really getting an understanding that each family, each individual is coming to you as an advisor at different stages of their life. They have different ambitions, different uh, lifestyle habits. That, and so understanding where they're at and sort of what their goals are is the first point that dictates what the appropriate investment strategy is. And then from there, and typically our focus for, for property investing is outside of super, that's the point in time that we sort of lay out an investment strategy that's focused around building that, that investment property portfolio. But, but naturally with any investment, whether it's property or shares or anything, that typically you're going to do better if you understand what drives its growth. You're exactly right. When you can understand the drivers of a market, then you can act much more confidently, can't you? You can take that action. It's much easier to uh, to get involved. Um, which obviously that 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 you know the, the the first step of a journey is always the hardest, um, and it's really important that people take that first step. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're exactly right on that point because it is a long term strategy. Effectively, it's a multi decade strategy for a lot of investors, and you know you can imagine a lot happens in a, a year, let alone um, a decade, let alone a month, and and so being able to see through that noise and having a strategy in place that dictates where and when and what you invest in gives you a much better chance of getting you towards your goals and and allows you the, it gives you the confidence to be able to stick to that strategy over, over the long term which is what is going to bear is which what's going to allow it to bear fruit over time so what happens Dane when clients come to you and they're unable to define their values or their, their goals um, or they just don't want to take the time um, to actually define, you know, what it is that they're actually trying to achieve? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, particularly with the nature of the type of methodology we teach, it, it, the most exciting aspects of it typically are the investments themselves and it's often people will want to, well, yeah, yeah, I get the whole goal stuff, but just tell me where the best investment is. That's all I want to do. And it's more just, I guess, you know, and my my approach to this has evolved over, over the years, what I think works best. And, and sometimes, you know, in, in the past, you would sort of, I would find that I'd be more open to just working with what, working with that type of client that wants just a transactional relationship. And I just don't find that that get, gets the best experience for them. It might be what they want when they come to you, but it's not what they need and it's not what they're going to stick to. And it's not going to sort of bear fruit for them over time. And, and often it's the sort of, they've come because they're excited about an opportunity in the market and, you know, our advice model helps deliver that, but then the next exciting opportunity somewhere else and they go and jump to that without allowing enough time for, you know, what we've put in place for them to play out. I always say that that whole concept of compound interest is just unbelievably important that, um, you know, the, the, the fast race is, you know, won by the, the slow and steady, isn't it? That, that concept of 
you so often see people they get excited about an investment and you know they it, I likened it to them planting a tree and yeah. they water that seedling and and you know they nurture for it and they're excited and they fertilize it and they give it a lot of attention and it just doesn't grow quick enough for them so they pull it out and they get excited about a new type of tree and they plant that and they go through the same thing they they nurture it they water it they they spend time with it etc and it doesn't grow quick enough so they pull it out and they plant another one and people spend their whole lives doing this don't they chasing one thing to the next and yet if they just allowed the miracle of compound interest to work its um, magic over time you know that's where you create you know uh, you know significant wealth yeah, I mean, effectively, it's get rich slowly. And I mean, the most often the most exciting, enthusiastic part of the engagement is the discovery of the the new op- investment opportunity. And and it's almost you can you know sometimes get a little bored of just the status quo. But you know, as we often say, investing is supposed to be boring. It's it's life mm. that's supposed to be interesting. And you know, the whole purpose for investing is typically you know, to produce a, a portfolio of assets that are going to fund your lifestyle. You know, that's the, that's often the primary goal for people seeking advice. And, and so, and the other thing to point out, I think, particularly with property is that you can have long periods where it feels like not much is happening. And that's certainly the nature of compound return. In the early years, unless, you know, you've really nailed the, um, the timing of it, and, you know, that's certainly in, in recent times been happening, <clears throat> In, in parts of in parts of the markets that we're looking at, but it doesn't always work out that way. And, and sometimes you can go for you know a number of years where it feels like not much is happening, and then you know almost overnight for a year or two you have quite rapid growth, and then it levels off again. And so the the expectation and 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 that feeds into also about you know. I quite dislike projections because the way in which they're typically done is in a linear fashion, i.e., you know, if your property grows by 6% per annum, you'll have this much in this many years. And the reality is the experience is very different to that because, as we say, you can have a long period where it goes sideways and you can have you know, a couple of years where it grows quite rapidly and then, and then consolidates again. I have to agree with you on that. That is one of my absolute pet hates that – that investment markets are presented to investors uh, in a linear fashion, and that's just not how the markets work. They they do work in a cyclical manner, and and the returns you know tend to be quite lumpy. Well, the markets aren't linear, but nor is life. More importantly, yeah. But you know, there's a lot of changes that we go through in life, from you know, be it family related changes or, or careers, moving from salary to you know running a business, and you know a lot of those things will impact positively and negatively over the course of your investment journey that, that some of it you can plan for, but some things just happen. And, and that's, again, why if you've got a strategy in place, well, then as these things come up, you can, you can adapt and it might be a temporary solution. It might be a, some of it can be dictated by the cycle itself. Okay, we're coming up to an expect, expected, you know, decline. You know, we should be looking at, at um reducing our our debts even if we're in a position to take on more debt even if the banks are willing to lend more money to us or it could be a lifestyle related situation where it could be a great opportunity to be investing but it just might not be the right time for us as individuals because we've just started a new job or we you know we've we've got to pay down a credit card or or, or whatever it whatever it happens to be and so 
or and and that again comes back to that idea of having a having goals, having a strategy in place first to dictate how it is that you're going to to plan your investments. That concept that you just touched upon a moment ago about um, you know leveraging. I mean that leveraging goes hand in hand with property. Mm. Um, it's you know typically you know most properties would be purchased with the assistance of um, uh, of leverage and and I think that is probably one of the the big takeaways from PAFO is that if we can understand um, a little bit about the drivers, if we can understand a little bit about the cycles, then we can understand that there are times to be leveraged and there's times when we shouldn't be leveraged, when being over leveraged is when, mm. you, when we're exposing ourselves to, you know, much greater, you know, levels of risk than, than is warranted. And, and I, I agree. And I, and I also think it's an asset class that, that works well with leverage. I, I, I can't remember the last time, if at all, that I've recommended someone borrow to buy shares. Um, and and you know, it, they're, they're obviously there's there's certain investments that have gearing within, like for example, the gear ETF. Um, for, that there are investments that have gearing in them, but borrowing money to go and build a share portfolio. It can certainly you know enhance your returns in a rising market. But what I often find is that because you've got the share prices staring in you in the face day in day out and not even putting aside the fact that you know you can potentially get margin called just the fact that it impacts the psychology of the investment of the investor and and often you know it really tests the confidence to stick to a, a strategy that involves borrowing to invest in shares whereas I find with property you know you don't have you know, that daily pricing issue, that volatility affecting, it certainly does rise and fall over, over time, but in a more measured way. And so that also with combined with the, you know, the tax deductibility of the interest, the, the depreciation benefits associated with property, you know, that help cover the cost of servicing a loan over, the, over that period. It, it just, I just find it works well. Um, hand in hand with, with, with the residential property strategy. The concept of um, investor psychology is probably one of the most important that um, any investor can really uh, take some time to understand, isn't it? If you can understand your own emotions and your own reactions, then um, it takes you a long way to understanding you know, how you should be behaving under times of duress. Um, and as you said, unfortunately, with shares because they are, um, you know, publicly traded um, mm. and priced, um, you know, there every second of every day, um, you know, people do get caught up in the short term rather than thinking about the long term. They do, and and often, I think more often than not, the, you know, those of us that do get more caught up in that don't have a don't have a plan and 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 it's often that 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 need for validation in the short term to justify the investment decision is what you know causes a lot of those those stresses and and if if you sort of lay it out in the first place that this is something i'm going to that, that plays out over a minimum five to seven years ideally you know over the course of the next decades to come it doesn't take away the fact that you're still seeing the prices go up and down day in, day out, but at least you know that there's a purpose for what you're doing. 
Mm. It, it, it doesn't remove the issue completely, but it does help. But but I think, you know, and I guess also on the positive side, I mean, even the professionals are subject to the, the psychology and you know, of the market. No, no one is a robot. But again, you know, it's all about how do you best mitigate that? And, you know, the old adage by you know, failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And that's, that's what we keep coming back to. That's the purpose of having a plan of, have, of seeking advice. That's, that's what its role is to, to have that mapped out at the beginning of, of your investment journey so that as you move along, there's a framework around each decision that you're making uh, over, the course of, over the course of time. So, Dane, who would you say are the other clients, or, or, or who are the investors that do the best out of property? Yeah, and and I mean, I guess the best way to answer that firstly is to recognise that a lot of us are time poor. That's a reality of modern society. There's a lot of distractions, but there's a lot of you know just the realities of full time work. That the days of of nine to five are uh, you know are no longer there, and many of us work work long hours and and i guess it comes back again to you know the whole purpose for 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 investing is to produce a portfolio of assets that put you in a position where work becomes optional you can continue to work if you want to but you you're in a position where you don't have to and so what i find is that those that buy into the whole concept of accepting that there is value in having a strategy put together for them and, are, and, in, and not just at the outset, there's always a lot of enthusiasm, you know, about, you know, this is great, I've got this plan, I've got peace of mind. But then the reality of day-to-day life sets in. Once the plan's laid out and, you know, the initial investment decisions are made, then it's, it's that proactivity of just, just being engaged when, you know, when things need to be done, acting on them in a timely manner. You know, that, that's incumbent on the advisor to be proactive as well. But, you know, the clients that work best with me are engaged in the process, turn, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of paperwork involved in, in, in you know, dealing with the, the, the lenders, dealing with the actual property transactions themselves. Um, and, you know, not just the transactions along the way, but just reviewing the overall strategy periodically as well. And if that then allows, because... As an advisor, you don't know what's happening in your client's life on a daily basis. Things are happening. Mm-hmm. And, and the more that we know about what's going on and you know, if there's any changes, the more we can sort of feed that into any adjustments that need to be made to the plan. So, yeah, I mean, the ones that do best go beyond sort of the initial enthusiasm of getting a, a plan in place but actually stay engaged over the course of, of, of a number of years. Is investing difficult, especially when it comes to property, do you think? It can be very confusing. And I completely appreciate, particularly those new, you know, we've been at this for, for 20 years or more, and, and it does take time for each person to get comfortable with what they think works best for them. And that could be a combination of doing their own investing or, or engaging an advisor to, to assist with the investment along with mapping out the strategy itself. I think the more difficult, I think people can make it more difficult than it really is by, by not trusting their own judgment. I think when you make, I think the effort really should be made at 
at the front end where you spend a lot of time building rapport with your network, be it your team of advisors, accountants, mortgage brokers, property strategists, et cetera, and really spend some time up front to get comfortable with people that you think are going to add value to, to your investing. Um, not to mention your own personal research and, and everyone's got different levels of enthusiasm for understanding the world of, of, of investing. But I think if tried as best you can to ignore the noise, if you've, if you've put in the effort to understand a plan as it's laid out to you and you're comfortable with how it's presented and, and the strategy that is, is suggested to be adopted, then not much else matters if you allow it enough time to, to, to play out. And that's the real key, that a lot can happen positively and negative year to year. But if the plan is, is, is for you know, a multi-decade investment strategy, just allow it to do its job and just be engaged to the point that you need to be in terms of making decisions, investment decisions along the way organizing paperwork when it needs to be done. And if that's all done in a timely manner, then you're going to get the best out of the process. What you said about the multi-decades, I couldn't agree more. The people that I know who have made really significant sums of money in mm. property have all been involved um, in the property market for multiple decades and they've just continually compounded through over time. Yeah, I mean, I, the AFR every year, once a year, does a you know, top 200 wealthiest people in Australia. And if you go and read the list of those people, the vast majority of them have either built their wealth through property or they've made their wealth through you know, building a business, selling it. And if they haven't done it through property, they've at least diversified into property. And, mm. and, and then you look at sort of the wealthiest families, not just in Australia, but in the world, that, that, that multi-generational wealth, a lot of it is in, in, in property. Mm. How important do you think the concept of the effortless advantage is? I mean, it's, I think it's absolutely fundamental to the investment strategies that I adopt, that I implement as an advisor. Um, I think, and if I go back to what I said earlier about, you know, earlier in my career, that was kind of the missing link for me in understanding how the markets work, not just property, but, you know, the, just the broader economy and, and, and the share market as well. And so understanding that the, the effortless advantage that, that effectively that the land captures the productive gains generated in the economy at the expense effectively of the wage earner effectively dictates that land prices much, must rise faster over time than, than the wages you can earn. And so, yes, there are cyclical aspects to that. And a lot, a lot of that is, is related to, you know, the, the expansion and contraction of credit against that land over time. You know, I'd see that as the secondary factor because as, you know, like we've mentioned that those that have bought and held property and you know, paid down their debts over time because they've been good with their cash flow. The the cycle's important in terms of timing, you know, your investments. But property can be, you know, when when managed properly, can be a strategy that lasts a lifetime or multiple lifetimes. You're exactly right. At the end of the day, the effortless advantage is the, you know, the the, the free pickup that you that you receive from 
um, productivity gains that occur around you and that those productivity gains enhance the locational value of the land that you own. Um, and as the landlord, landholder, you are the benefactor of uh, any such uh, improvements. Yep. And of course, those improvements that you receive are, are, are multiplied many times. And often it can be the stroke of a pen. You know, I, I'm in I'm in the northern suburbs of, of Sydney and in the council in, in recent time with the, the metro rail line that's been built has rezoned a lot of the, the properties around this area for, for high rise. And, you know, that's, that's the council's making a decision that one day the property is a single story dwelling, the next day it's a 35 story high rise apartment complex. Now, nothing's changed other than the fact that the use of that land is, has changed to accommodate a lot more people on that same site. And hence the value of that land increases commensurately because of the increase in rents that can be paid. You're exactly right. The, um, the whole government granted license, the, 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 the zoning um, can have a huge impact you know, um, probably greater in a lot of cases than, you know, infrastructure or technological gains or population growth. Um, just the mere fact that you can change the usage of a piece of land um, can have enormous impacts on its value. Yeah, and it's a, it's a real hidden element that, you know, you, you look at long-term sort of growth in, in house prices, but what's what that's not necessarily picking up is the change in use of that same, because it's, you know, you're looking at the average dwelling, but you're not picking up the change in use of that site that was once a single story dwelling that's now been rezoned to high rise. Dane, how important is the credit market in driving the price of the real estate market? It's vitally important. And, you know, let's look at the Australian, the Australian experience in, uh, over the last 10 years where post the GFC, we, we came out of the GFC and we had strong growth, particularly in, in Sydney and in Melbourne, capital city um, residential markets. And then the concerns from the regulators was that lending was getting a little bit ahead of itself. And effectively, that is the banks creating credit against the value of land. And so they decided, the regulators, to put a cap on that for a period of time. And that really held up the growth in property prices for, for a few years there. And you know, once the regulators said, okay, well, that's done its job and it's off to the races again, then almost immediately property prices started to, to, to grow. So the access to credit is fundamental to driving the growth in, in, in land prices over time. And yes, there is a cyclical element to that that we talk a lot about in the methodology. Um, that particularly as we move into the second half of the cycle, the expectations are that, that that credit is really going to start getting a lot easier for the average investor to, to access, not dissimilar to what was experienced in the 2000s leading up to the GFC. History certainly tells us that that cyclical nature of the availability of credit um, definitely moves throughout the cycle, that at the bottom of the cycle... Um, you know, when um, uh, when asset prices are depressed, that, you know, the amount of credit that's available is uh, heavily restricted as banks and other lending institutions want to be protecting their assets and uh, are very hesitant to, to lend because of their memory of uh, the recent falls in asset prices. And, 
as you said, this, as the cycle manifests and, and builds and we, and we move through, um, you know, we have the banks becoming more and more liberal in their lending criteria and increasing more and more of the availability of funds until we get to the top of the market. It's, um, you know, we can see that historically, um, anecdotally, you know, across many, many years. And, and it just seems to, to last long enough, you know, let's say 18, 20 years or so, just long enough for us to forget what caused mm. the last one. And it may yeah. be the case of, you know, the leaders of, of, of the banks, you know, moved to the next generation that probably weren't, you know, in, in key decision-making positions the last time we had a, G, a GFC. And, and it's just long enough for the same mistakes to be repeated again in a different, slightly different way, that same, same, but different. And I think the other perverse element to it is that the absolute best time to try and to be wanting to access as much credit as you can is the most difficult time to be able to get credit. Yeah, yeah. So what's really important with that is having an understanding of, of, of what drives that that credit cycle. Looking for the, looking for this the the signals a lot as we move through the cycle for the change in in how that credit is accessible, so that you can be well prepared for those those changing environments. So that. You know, well in advance of the end of the cycle that you've got plans in place you know to 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 either refinance to get you well and truly through that period or or to have your debts paid off so that you're in a position to potentially make you know cash purchases for distressed assets at the bottom of the of the next cycle so there's a lot of different elements to that that are opportunities but none of which are a replacement for having a plan and a strategy that's suitable for your situation. Do you think it's fair to say, Dane, that um, as a share or an equities investor, that if you can understand how the property market works, it can definitely help your share investing and, and vice versa, that, that those property investors should really take some time to understand how the share market works to enhance their investing? Yeah, absolutely. I think as a share investor, understanding the property market, well, I mean, effectively, that's you know, the credit cycle. And the credits, often the property markets, as you know, the way in which the, the, the credit cycle plays out, the property market's often giving you a signal as it's levelling off that there could be issues in the share market to come. You know, we certainly saw that. In, in 2006, 2007, globally, not just in Australia, as, as, as the, particularly the US housing market topped out in 2006, the share market kept, kept rising for a period of time, but there were underlying issues that were quite clear if you understand the credit cycle. And then you know, what, what came was the GFC to follow. So you know, where we're currently at at the time of this recording is you know, we're, the way in which we look at the cycles, we're moving into the second half when the expectations are for credit conditions to, to, to really loosen and, and asset prices to, to grow strongly. You know, we've got a number of years to go for that to play out, but you know, the property market certainly gives you some signals that can be applied to how you, how you manage your shares. And then so on the other side of it is, as a property investor, understanding the share market, I think the key to focus on is themes. So, you know, what are the key themes driving the share market? You know, health, technology, innovation. Often 
the sectors that are attracting the greatest level of innovation that are growing their earnings the fastest, there's often a property element to that. And, you know, let's take data centers, for example, it's, um, it's, you know, there's a huge growing demand for data um, as, as a lot of economic activity starts going into the cloud that, and that increases the need for data. That data usage requires data centers to be able to deliver that. And that those data centers are effectively property. You know, and there's you know, next PC, it's been in, a, in the count and flag. Uh, share portfolios is an example of, of, a, of, a, of a share. This, obviously, this isn't an investment recommendation, more just to, to, to show an example of how a property investor can, how a property investor's investment strategy can be influenced from understanding what's going on in the share market. I guess another really good example of that is the whole industrial warehouse. Yeah. Um, you know, with what's happening with, um, you know, online purchasing and, and retailing. Um, that uh, that industrial warehousing is uh, you know sector has just gone absolutely crackers. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, Goodman Goodman Group's done really well out of that of that sector, owning a lot of logistics assets that effectively are you know warehouses to hold boxes of stuff that people have bought from Amazon on some other part of the world. And and that's that is yeah a really fast growing um, sector of of the property market. And so again, I guess the more you understand about the, what's driving, you know, the growth in in certain stocks as a property investor, depending on what stage you're at in your investment journey, I think you know we've talked about this in in other in other sort of episodes and content about get the foundations right, stick to capital city residential properties until your lifestyle's looked after. But you know, once you've achieved that and and you're looking to broaden out your portfolio having an understanding of the key themes driving the share market may steer you towards certain industrial investments um, and, 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 you know, offices, you know, CBD, the CBD office market is kind of the alternate example of that in more recent times as a result of COVID, um, a lot of, which, you know, arguably is potentially a temporary phenomenon, but it's, there's been a reduced demand in, in CBD offices for the fact that um, people are working from home um, for a period of time. So that's you know, increased vacancies temporarily. So uh, understanding you know, what's driving the share market presents opportunities as a property investor to, to look for themes that have a property element to them. How important is it that um, clients have property exposure? I mean, I think it's fundamental. I, I, you know, I, you hear a lot of these debates about our shares better than property, and you know, I think most of it's garbage. They're, they're both important for for certain structures. I know, you know, typically I prefer shares and, and exchange traded funds through superannuation. Outside of super, I think, um, particularly particularly in the stage of your journey where you're not yet independently wealthy. I think, and when you, when you say how important is property, I drill even further into that and just say, you know, stick to residential property when you're starting out, you know, and this is this whole, you know, like what we talked about earlier, just avoiding the noise. There's always an exciting development, commercial, industrial opportunity. It's just a, do them at the right time, build the foundation first. And, and I, I think, 
you know, well-located capital city rental properties are a really great way to build sustainable wealth in a re relatively easy to understand way. You know, explain to the average investor what drives the, the property market, I think is a lot simpler than explaining, you know, the drivers of a lithium mine. Um, they both aren't good or bad investments in isolation. It's more you know, a very, just keep it simple. And in, particularly in the early stages of your portfolio's development. Property or shares, Dane, what's the, um, what's the best investment? I like the, the girl in the Taco Bell ad, why not both? They're, <laughs> they're both important in their own rights. They, they, the, the underlying drivers, we've talk, you know, we talk about the, the value of a property investor learning about the share market adds value to their property investing and vice versa. I think it comes down somewhat to what's suitable for the right structures and, you know, particularly for, for high income earners, the, the tax deductible nature of, of, of leveraged property investment works really well outside of super. And then, you know, through superannuation, the franking credit benefits and, and, and associated with that lend to shares and exchange traded funds and the like being the more suitable investments through through superannuation. The other thing is buying direct property through super, establishing a self-managed super fund to do it. And you know, it's quite convoluted and it's not a strategy that 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 I typically like to recommend. You know, I've often in picked up a client that may have already had a property in an SMSF and certainly typically don't recommend that they sell something that they've already got. But if you're working with a blank slate, typically we keep the property strategy outside of super. Where it can work is for those that run a business out of a commercial premise. And, and you know, there are sometimes benefits of owning that commercial premise through a, through a self-managed super fund. We can't do it all ourselves. So, I mean, property investing, um, uh, you know, it's a team sport, isn't it? You know, we need professional help around us. How do you go about putting that team together and, and you know, who do you need on your team? Sure. And, and as an advisor, I, I've got a team around me for my own property investing as well. And, and, and I often recommend to clients make use of those, that, that same network. And I think my, the part that I typically play in, in that process is to, to map out the property investment strategy. That, that's where I believe I add most value to a client, not necessarily you know, sitting down with them and determining which is you know, whether you buy a you know, three bedroom townhouse in Brisbane or a house and land in, in Sydney. So once you, so that's the role really of a financial advisor, and particularly an advisor that has a property investment strategy focus to their advice. I think is the first part that you want to get right. Effectively, get the framework about what the purpose is for your investment strategy, and then around that, you know, using the example of our, you know, the advice model that 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 we adopt is you know, we've got a property strategist who you know, we work with with examine property who identify um, the right property opportunities for a client situation and and they've got the on the ground expertise they've got the networks to identify those opportunities and we make that introduction 
Um, on the lending side, you've got, we work with, with who you would have heard Rory from own home loans on a number of your podcasts. Um, having a mortgage broker, you, I mean, a lot of people, mortgage brokers get a bad rap, I find, uh, a lot of the time. And, and, and they've got a really important role to play, I think. Absolutely. And I think often the view, the average investor's view of a mortgage broker is there to try and get you a cheaper rate than they can get from the bank. And it is, it's far more nuanced than that. And there's so much more value in having the right loan structure than, than the right loan. And the, the right loan is obviously important, but you know, do you have an offset account? Do you, you know, how do you structure having multiple properties? Do, do you cross collateralize? Do you, do you maximize? Do you have an offset account on all your properties or just one? There's, and because there's so many different products and they're constantly changing, it's a very specialized area of advice. And like we go back to what's who has the best client experience, the, the best client experience is those that are proactive. Well, you know, the best client experience is to work with a team of you know, advisors that have specialist skills in different areas that themselves are proactive. And you know, I use, you know, I'm not, I use Rory personally and I'm, I'm and, and I've, and I've um, reckon I use Omar as well for, for property selection and and can't speak highly enough of them and you know we make those we make introductions to clients to these people to help them facilitate their, their property investment strategy the other the other key element um, importantly is is having a having an accountant um, and we work with a number of accountants in in the different cities and particularly an accountant that under that understands um, what drives the property market and and I think bringing all that together too is it's a bit of a Venn diagram people's knowledge and skill set extend beyond what you're engaging them for you know your mortgage broker might have a view on the property market your accountant might have a view on the property market but you're engaging your mortgage broker to, to, to implement the best loan structure for you you know, in some respects, their view on the property market's not relevant. That should come from your property strategist. Your accountant, same thing. You don't go to your property strategist to get accounting advice. So I, I always encourage people to keep that in mind that it's important to have that team around you, that have that specialist skill set, but really recognise what you're engaging each of those people for because, you know, we're all proud professionals that, that have views on various things and sometimes those views extend beyond our core competencies. Investing certainly in property or investing in general doesn't come without risks. Um, so it's important that we define and we mitigate as many risks as possible. Um, what do you see as the, the major risks involved in um, purchasing property or being a, being a property landlord? Sure. I mean, the obvious one, you know, with leverage creates risk that, you know, either if the value of the property declines and you're not able to refinance or if something happens with your, with your, your, your earning capacity that limits your ability to service the loans, you know, it's really important to get, to have good cash flow habits in place before you even consider implementing a property strategy, one that involves leverage. The other one is overpaying, you know, as, as best you, 
as best you can, that's you work with professionals to help to help mitigate that. And sometimes, and I think overpaying isn't buying an asset and it not sort of going anywhere for a while before it starts to, to increase. Overpaying is, you know, buying at the top of the cycle in the wrong city at the wrong time, um, you know, where there's been a stack of developer commissions rolled up above the, the true value of the property. And I think a key part of the people that we work with aim to demonstrate the comparable value of existing properties in the area for anything that they're presenting to our clients. I think that's a really important, uh, it does nothing, I mean, it doesn't remove the risk completely. I mean, not, nothing is guaranteed, but it, it certainly is a key focus um, for the property strategists that we use. The most, the, the one that can be controlled is time. And what I mean by that is the biggest risk is not allowing it enough, the strategy enough time. You talk about compound return, people looking for that short-term validation that they've made the right investment decision compared to other options that they may have had available to them. This is, when you're investing in property, it's a strategy that plays out over a minimum five to seven years, ideally multiple decades. And so unless you're not, unless you're willing to give it that time, don't invest in the first place. Don't engage in a growth focused investment strategy because you, you're just going to be another one like what you mentioned, Jeremy, that you know, plants a seed and then pulls out, pulls out the weeds and moves on to the next investment without allowing it enough time to play out first it's a real shame that that happens it's often it's often the catalyst of people having a poor experience um in investing isn't it and especially with property that that their time horizon is just too short and their expectations over the short term are too great um that if they would just give it some time and let it do its work then um you know the outcome would be much more um, profitable for them. Yeah, and I don't say this flippantly. It's not just to sort of excuse poor performance or in an investment or anything like that. I, I just think that the average investor typically judges performance over too short a time frame, and and, mm. and often gives up on an investment way too early before it's had its chance to 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 demonstrate growth. The 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 idea that you've mentioned before um, about the timeframes that people invest for, um, you know, is something that we can control. You, you mentioned before about, you know, good cash flow habits and and making sure that, you know, you're in a strong um, uh, cash flow position before you undertake uh, such an investment. I mean, the thing about that, there's, there's a number of things that we can do to mitigate such risks um, with the use of insurance um, and certainly from a landlord and tenancy point of view, we can get landlords insurance, etc. Um, so there are some mechanisms for us to to define, mitigate, and and reduce the level of risk that an investor undertakes. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I I think that's a key part of of seeking comprehensive advice, and and I go back to those that to get the best out of advice, it, it's to look at the whole picture and. You know, insurance plays a key role in that. I mean, effectively, you know, our philosophy on insurance is you have it until you don't need it anymore. You know, as an advisor, I'm not here to sell people insurance. It's 
it's the, the role that it plays is to allow you to maintain your lifestyle if something happened that stopped you from being able to work through, through illness or injury. And if you think about it in terms of a, a property investment strategy involving leverage, you know, you can't get income protection to cover you for getting sacked. That's, you know, otherwise you'd be paying a pretty high premium. But, yeah. but you know, if, and, and, and I guess that to, to, to you know, to, to engage in, in a growth focused investment strategy, one of the things as an investor you want to be confident in is the security of your job prospects, whether it's your existing job or, you know, other opportunities if, they, if, they, if they're around. Putting that to the side, if that's something that you're comfortable with, then what you can never predict is if something happens to you, um, you know, everyone thinks they're not going to get sick or injured, but it, you know, it does happen. And, and it happens at the worst time or, the, you know, or, or just in a completely unexpected way to a completely unexpected person. And, and so the, that's the role that income protection plays in providing, you know, in the event of that happening, providing you a monthly, monthly benefit until you're able to return to, to work and, and earn your salary again. But what it allows, and it's a one great way of being able to mitigate the risk that if you were to get sick, how you would be able to service your loans when you, know, you didn't have a salary coming in. I've always scratched my head about that, that for some reason, society doesn't seem to shirk at um, purchasing insurance for a motor vehicle that might be 30 or 50 or maybe even $80,000 worth. Um, and yet we have a propensity to be completely uninsured or underinsured, I should say, when it comes to, you know, income protection, for example. Um, and yet you're insuring the value of multiple years worth of your personal exertion, i.e. income stream that can be worth literally millions and millions of dollars to you. And, and yet for some reason we don't insure that, but we insure, a, you know, an $80,000 car. I've always, always scratched my head about that. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's just, and a lot of people don't fully appreciate that 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 capacity to earn income is typically your most valuable asset, more even more so than even if you own your family home. And you're exactly right. And I think it comes back to that sort of mindset that, well, you know, I can't control if what happens on the roads. Um, you know, like I've got to get I've got to get at least the basic level of insurance because the government requires me to have it and if I've got a car loan well I've got to have comprehensive insurance anyway otherwise I can't get the loan um, but often it just comes back to that mindset of you know she'll be right I I don't think I'm going to get sick I'm pretty healthy it's not going to happen to me but we all have someone a friend or or colleague or family member who's just you know had a heart attack cancer stroke or or just something that you know was completely unexpected, and it's 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 very sad when these things happen. But you know that's that's the purpose of insurance, you know, to cover for those unforeseen events. And you know, again, coming back to that philosophy that there's no if you've got a if you've got a portfolio of of investment properties, for example, that are sufficient that if something was to happen to you and you weren't able to work, that it's producing enough income to maintain your lifestyle. Well, then you don't need insurance. Your assets are your insurance, um, mm, mm. and and so our our approach to that is is very much predicated by what the goals are. That if your goal is to build this portfolio to fund your lifestyle, well, the role insurance plays along the way is to fill the gap. 
So as, you know, as that portfolio grows, that gap starts to reduce. So the need for insurance cover starts to reduce over time as well, to the point where it, you know, it, it's not needed anymore once you're, you're fully covered by your assets. Oh, look, you're exactly right. And it's in such an important concept, isn't it? That, um, you know, if, you, if you're going to undertake any form of gearing, then you've got to take protection. And um, it's certainly, you know, an important step, just as is, you know, all landlord's insurance can be as well for those people who, um, you know, from a cash flow point of view, you know, want to make sure they've got, um, you know, some added level of protection should um, should they have problems with uh, with their tenants. Yeah, I mean, and I've had it in my properties where where I, I had a tenant um, up and leave and leave a whole bunch of mess. And, you know, if I didn't have my, my landlord insurance cover, well, then I would have been on the hook for that loss of rent. It, it, can, mm. it can happen. But I think, yeah, the fact that that's happened doesn't mean, oh, well, investing in property is too hard. I'm going to go and buy shares because I don't have to worry about that sort of rubbish. I mean, the reward is greater than the risks, I believe, and, and, mm. the, and these things that happen along the way. And that's part of accepting the reality of nothing is ever going to be perfect with with, with things are going to come up. And, and that I go back to, you know, those that are most proactive get the best out of it. And you know, I'll give you an example. You know, recently I had a client who um, had engaged now with our property and lending partners to um, to buy a property, and um, it was a they they'd pay the deposit. It was a, a a development that had a sort of eighteen month settlement time frame, and and during the course of that time, he decided to change careers, and just so happened that that was coinciding with. Um, the settlement coming coming due and and the only reason I found out is you know he just told me one day that oh by the way I've got a new job and I said okay um, just make sure you you keep the the mortgage broker in, in involved and you know eventually we got to the bottom of it and we're able to find a, a find a solution for him but unless we know what's going on in your life yeah, that potential, that situation that 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 client may have missed missed out on the property and forfeited their deposit if because their work circumstance changed and they weren't able to get a loan, and you know that would have been a very unfortunate situation. But the more clients keep you informed with what's going on in their lives, I hope no one, I hope none of my clients listening to this ever feel like they can't contact me because I'd much rather know. To be able to, you know, assist and you know adjust the strategies or or put things in place to to get the best out of a situation, rather than feel like that you're a burden on on our time. That's exactly what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And tell me this, Dane. We've spoken about um, the fact that you know we believe that people should be involved in the property market, but you know, ha- how does that occur? Are we talking. Um, you know, owner-occupier um, exposure. We're talking investment. We're talking buying off the plan, secondhand, rent vesting. I mean, how should people be exposed to the residential uh, real estate market? There's a lot of jargon out there, and I, I, I sort of, if I break it down, just to deciding whether to, you know, when you've got you're in a situation where you can. You know, put some money towards, excuse me, towards a property. You have got the choice to either buy a place that you want to live in, or buy an investment and rent it out and 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 earn an income from 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 the rental. And typically, the you can in the particularly in the capital cities, you can afford a nicer place to rent than the equivalent mortgage to buy the same place. 
And you know, when you factor in the, the tax deductibility of, of interest on an investment property and depreciation, et cetera, you're typically financially better off renting and investing. But a lot of people, for lifestyle reasons, you know, perhaps it's sick of dealing with landlords. Hopefully, as property investors, we're good ones. But for lifestyle reasons, they want to own the roof over their head. And so it's really important you know, in the early stages of understanding the goals that if that's a key goal, well, then we include that in the plan. Um, one thing that people could consider with that is, you know, particularly if you engage in Kalman Flack and utilising our cycles methodology that feeds into the advice that we provide, is that there's a, there's a time for each capital city that is optimal in, in the cycle. And, and you know, for any of those that have listened to any of um, Omar's and, and your um, commentary on, on the various capital city property markets, not every capital city moves in unison. And so you might, you know, I, I'm in Sydney. Sydney's been through a huge um, investment boom between 2012 and, and, and now. Um, temporarily paused you know, during COVID, whereas, say, Brisbane and Perth have been through a long period of, of, of sideways movement pretty much since the GFC and are, and are just starting to come out of that now and starting to grow. So, mm. so you might be in a position ready to, to buy a property, but if you can see that, if, if you're comfortable to delay that gratification of owning your own home, ideally you do that at the right time for the capital city that you want to live in. And I think the other factor in that too, in deciding um, whether buying a primary residence or, or buying a, an investment is how transient is your lifestyle? Are, are you still sort of moving from place to place for your career? You might want to work overseas for a period of time. You might want to go interstate. Um, you might want to move to the other side of town. Um, you might want to have a family. And so you know, as, a, you know, as a dual income couple with no kids, the right type of property might be very different for, you know, for that same couple 10 years down the track that may have two or three children. So if you're, looking to, if you're wanting to buy the primary residence rather than buy an investment property, I think it's really important to be confident that it's going to be a place you're going to live for a number of years. And again, five, seven years plus, like we say, that's the minimum that a strategy like this takes to play out. So as an advisor, really, you're helping clients make a lot of different decisions, aren't you? Um, you know, helping them define their goals and, and, and pick their way through the different decisions, whether it's, you know, um, what sort of property um, they should be purchasing, how it should be financed, you know, where they should be, um, you know, seeking advice on some of those further areas. It, there's, there's lots of decisions that are made along the way, aren't there? Yeah, there is. And, and usually, you know, people, have, whether they've been referred by another client or they've, they've come across us um, through the content that, that we put out, there's a certain key moment in their life where they've come to that has given them the impetus to want to seek advice. And often there's, there's sometimes there's a feeling that, okay, well, once I've got all of this in place, everything's going to be fine. Or I, you know, I don't, I think there's a real value and this isn't just trying to talk, you know, talk my own book that, that, that there is a lot of decisions that are made that you don't even know you're going to have to make until you're in the position where you need to make them. And, and there's a, like we said, there's a lot that happens even in just 12 months. 
and that over the course of, of years, there's a range of different things and you, as you go through different life phases that, that the strategy that, that we lay out evolves. You know, for example, as you start to approach your retirement, what are you doing you know, with, your, with your, your contribution strategies into in maximising you know, what you've got in super that's going to effectively be a tax-free pension in retirement? There's a range of different things that people at various stages of their life haven't even contemplated. And so the role of ongoing advice is to have someone there that you can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, this is happening, what should I do about it? And that coinciding with having regular reviews as a formal part of the process gets the best out of the advice experience from the perspective of a client. Having an impartial sounding board to knock ideas against is just absolutely invaluable and invaluable isn't it yeah and and just as much for us as professionals as as clients seeking advice i think no, no person is an island and that you know i think the balance there is you, you still want to ignore the noise and so i think the effort should be put into having a circle of people that you that you trust and that you have confidence have expertise in particular areas that you need um, is important but, and once you've got that in place then a lot of the there's a million different ways to to build wealth and there's a million different I, investment ideas and strategies and there's a thousand people with you know butcher's paper and marker pen on on youtube talking about how to to build wealth um, but you know trust your gut and work with people that you're compatible with it's just i mean it's no different to your social life just as much as dealing with professionals dane statistics released by the ato show that 20 percent of australians actually own an investment property but of them about 70 percent only owe one and less than 20 percent of investors actually own two or more properties and if you keep drilling down it's actually six percent own three percent Sorry, 6% own three properties, 2% own more than four, and only 1% own more than five. I wanted to ask, why is it that so few property investors get past one property, let alone two? I think it's a combination of a number of factors. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that a lot of the enthusiasm that drives making an investment decision is very much around discovering the opportunity or learning about a particular strategy that they implement through you know, an investment. Often someone will go to a seminar, get excited and go and buy a property and it, and it might not work out or it might be a stressful experience. And, you know, a lot of people don't like negotiating with, with real estate agents or, or whatever factor that is um, often holds people back from moving beyond the first one to buy the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. I think the other part of it too is don't is to not get too fix, fixated on a specific number. There's a lot of sort of property spruikers out there that'll say that you've got 376 properties and worth 50 million and and all of that. I, I mean, I think a lot of that's irrelevant. One because you know there's no consistency with that because you can own 10. $200,000 properties or you know, four $500,000 properties, they're still both worth the same. Um, and 
what's really important with that, I think, again, comes back to, well, what are you trying to achieve out if you, you know, one property might be enough for somebody that has a certain passive income need that is delivered through one property. Um, you know, for a lot of us, I would imagine it's it's a portfolio of you know, a handful of properties that are going to produce you know, sufficient income to fund your desired lifestyle expenses. And so I think, again, just having an understanding of what you're trying to achieve then allows to, you to make sense of what you need to do through your property investing to achieve that goal. And, and so if after buying one property or part of the way there, you've got a clear path to know where you need to get to and what you need to do to get towards that goal that you're trying to achieve. So is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to part um, uh, some knowledge to, to listeners? I, I mean, I think we've covered you know, the key points. I, I think what I really hoped that people would get out of this is is an understanding of the importance of having a plan and a strategy in place. It's These can sound like nebulous terms, but I hope we've done a job of explaining what that involves and why it's important before you go out and make a an investment decision on buying a property. It's absolutely crucial, isn't it? That um, I think probably two things. The other thing too, just talking about the importance of understanding the drivers, understanding the importance of the effortless advantage. Um, when, as a listener, if you can understand how you know credit and the property cycle are, are, are intrinsically intertwined, is is crucial. And 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 putting that contest around or con- putting that in context around, you know, your own personal goals and objectives, and and having a plan to to meet that. Um, you know, really does set you on the path of financial freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from personal experience as both an advisor and an investor, understanding that effortless advantage is what really solidified my investment and advice approach. And often, you know, I'm advising clients who they're either at similar life stages to me or they're looking to achieve similar things that I'm working towards in my own investment journey. And But that that concept is what that and particularly the repeatable nature of that cycle is what gives me confidence to invest accordingly but also advise clients on you know similar investment strategies same same but different we've um, said that a thousand times haven't we every cycle same same but different same drivers but they just must manifest differently it's the it's the slightly differently each time is what throws throws us i i think and if you understand that the drivers haven't changed, it might look somewhat different to what's happened before, but the, the, the underlying drivers are exactly the same as they've been for you know, centuries. And the outcome is always exactly the same. Absolutely. Dane, let's wrap it up there. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If um, someone wants to get in touch with you, how's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah, sure. You, you can go to Count on Flack's website, www.countonflack.com. Um, Go to our people and you'll see my bio there. Um, email address is dane.pimble, P-Y-M-B-L-E, at calnanflack.com. Dane, we'll definitely leave the contact details in the show notes below. It's, of course, have um, it's our pleasure to have you as uh, as an advisor with us at Calnan Flack. 
Um, and it is great. You know, we do love the way that, you know, you combine both the equities and um, and the property solution for clients, um, you know, and understanding the drivers, understanding our methodology is uh, is crucial to the way in which, you know, we love the way that you deliver business. Much appreciated. You're very welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So to our listeners out there, thanks a lot for joining us once again. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a rating or review for Property Australia's Favourite Obsession. I've been your host, Jeremy Cowan, and until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. While useful for identifying patterns, history and past performance do not guarantee future performance. Calvin Flack has a commercial relationship with guests appearing on this production.